You're listening to the Workforce Wise podcast from Equifax, where we help you better manage your workforce by saving time, reducing risk, and focusing on increasing profits. Hello, and welcome to the Workforce Wise podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fry. Today, we're going to be talking about the Equifax E-Verify service and how you can use these tools to help make sure you have a legal workforce. I'm joined today by Montserrat Miller, who is a partner at Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, and she specializes her practice in worksite enforcement and E-Verify. Thank you for joining us today, Montserrat. Happy to be here. Thanks, Jason. Now, today we're really going to go deep into E-Verify, what it is, how it works, benefits both to the employer and to the employee, but we do want to start with a brief history of E-Verify and how it came to be. Montserrat, can you take the audience through E-Verify, where it came from, how it started, and kind of where we are today? Sure. So E-Verify is a web-based system that allows enrolled employers to confirm the eligibility of their employees to work in, in the United States. And so it's looking to verify identity employment eligibility of newly hired employees by electronically matching that information with both the Social Security Administration and Department of Homeland Security, depending on, on the circumstances. And it's meant to complement, but not replace, completion of the form I-9. So the program itself, E-Verify started as the basic pilot program, and it started in 1996 uh, as a result of the IRA-IRA, which is the Illegal Immigration Reform and Immigrant Responsibility Act. And as I mentioned, it was a pilot program first just in a few states, and today it's available to employers in all 50 states plus Puerto Rico. And over the years, it has been transformed from, believe it or not, they were initially providing the information via modem. It then went to the Internet. Photo matching tool was added. States began to share driver's license information through the ride program over the years. And today, it has a, approximately, according to U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, about 800,000 participating employers. And that is a ton of people who are inside the system every day, using the system every day. But I do want to kind of pull back to one of the first things that you said, that this is different from the I-9 process. A lot of the time when we are out speaking to prospects or new users to our systems, they're confused about E-Verify and Form I-9. And some think that if I'm doing E-Verify, then I don't have to do the Form I-9 process. We need to make sure that it is clear for all listeners that it is a separate process and that Form I-9 is still required for all employees hired to work inside the U.S. to both verify their identity and their eligibility to work inside the U.S. The I-9 needs to be completed before the E-Verify process, and that I-9 is where you get the information from to put into the E-Verify system. Few differences to um, inside the I-9 process. Normally, social security number is an optional field. So, if an employer is completing the form I-9 process for a new hire, the new hire doesn't have to put in their social security number unless that employer is using the E-Verify system. And if the employer is using the E-Verify system, then that social security number is no longer optional; it is required. So, that is something that's very important to point out 
because like Montserrat mentioned, this system is electronic, it's online, and it's checking several different databases. So the Social Security number then becomes a required field because it's used to help pull in a lot of the information from those additional databases that this electronic system or the E-Verify system is checking. Another thing that is a little bit different, can be different for E-Verify, is that we see a lot of our employer clients centralizing the process into either an administrative regional office or into an administrative corporate office. So the I-9 process where it has to be done in person out in the field where that employee is, the I-9, the E-Verify process can be a little bit different. We see a lot of our employers, like I said, centralizing that. So they've got fewer users doing the E-Verify process, and that way they have better controls on that E-Verify process. I mentioned databases briefly, and like a lot of databases today, E-Verify also has a My E-Verify process. So consumers, applicants, normal folk can log into the USCIS website and say, hey, I want to lock My E-Verify and that gives them the ability to lock their individual account so then it is not able to be used by another employee who may be out there to help reduce the amount of fraud that may be happening. So again, it's a way for employees who are potential at your organization to go into the E-Verify system and lock their account. It's important to note that if you are trying to perform e-verify on those employees, you have to tell them to unlock the account before you do the e-verify check. Just a note to make sure that they understand they have to unlock their My e-verify before you're able to perform the e-verify check on them. So it may just be something you want to include in the application process as a note to say, hey, employees who are coming in or applicants who are coming in, you might need to unlock your My e-verify account if you've locked it so we can perform the e-verify check. Matra, can you talk a little bit about the future of E-Verify? We've talked about where we are, how we got here, a little bit about how it works, but can you talk a little bit about the future of the program and where we see it going? Sure. So E-Verify is administered by U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Service. So just on the one hand, let's talk briefly about how it's sustained. And it's funded by the U.S. Congress. And that means that when the U.S. Congress can't decide or agree on, not so much decide, but agree on funding and they're having issues with funding the federal government, it does have the potential to impact E-Verify. And so some of you may recall that last year and earlier this year, uh, there was a lapse in federal funding and the E-Verify system went down. It was not in operation from approximately mid-December 2018 to the end of January of this year when uh, Congress uh, passed funding and E-Verify, the program was reinstated. So there are times when that can happen to E-Verify. It can go down due to government funding because it is funded by the U.S. Congress. Moving forward, it is believed that in time, E-Verify may be mandatory nationwide, not on a state-by-state -state basis or uh, if you're a federal contractor, and we're going to cover that in, a, in just a few minutes, but it is believed that E-Verify may become mandatory nationwide, and so USCIS 
is presumably ramping up for that through the E-Verify system in different ways to be able to handle, process all of the new E-Verify cases that would come if Congress passes a law which says E-Verify is now mandatory for all private employers. To get even more out of today's episode, make sure you get your free tools like webinars, ebooks, videos, and more at equifax.com slash wise. Yeah, and one thing to kind of point out is that one of the benefits of using the Equifax electronic e-verify system in association with the I-9 management tool is that our system holds the cases on behalf of our employer clients. So if we encounter a spot where the federal government is no longer funded or has lost funded for a peer, funding for a period of time, our employer clients don't have to watch that. They don't have to know when or if the system's online because our system automatically holds those cases on their behalf. And then as soon as the system comes back online, even if it's down for maintenance or something like that, we'll automatically resubmit all those cases on the employer's behalf. Since we're talking a little bit about employers, Montserrat, can you talk about why employers may want to use the E-Verify system? I know some of them have to use it. So can you talk a little bit about the employers who have to use E-Verify? Sure. So E-Verify is generally a voluntary program, and it is for new hires only, unless an exception applies. And I feel with immigration, there's always an exception. So voluntary program only for to be used to create cases and verify the work authorization of new hires only. However, if you're a federal contractor, you may be familiar with the FARC E-Verify Clause, Federal Acquisition Regulations, the FAR. And as of September of 2009, it requires that all federal contractors with contracts that actually contain the FAR E-Verify Clause must use E-Verify as a condition of that contract. And the same can be true of certain state government contracts. Uh, They may also require that the employer participate in E-Verify, and that would be a state mandate. So you have the potential for being a federal contractor with the FAR E-Verify clause and having to participate in E-Verify for all new hires, and in certain cases, existing employees. That only applies federal contractors. And then you get to the next level, which is, well, what if I'm a contractor and I have state government contracts? Then you have to look to see if you're in a state that requires E-Verify on public employers. And there are certain states that require public employers to participate in E-Verify, and there are also a smaller number that require private employers to participate in E-Verify. And generally, the way that the states have gotten away with doing with mandating E-Verify on private employers is they tie it to an organization's business license or renewal, like in Georgia, which is where I am. In Georgia, if you renew your business license, you have to demonstrate that you are enrolled in E-Verify by signing an affidavit. And in, in Georgia, it's 11-plus employees. If you have 11-plus employees, you have to participate in E-Verify. And they do that. You have to 
give them an uh, affidavit with your E-Verify number. So those are the the two. Um, there's a if you're a federal contractor, and then there are state specific requirements which may mandate an organization's use of E-Verify. And I know anytime we talk about state specific regulations, that means that there could be all kinds of different regulations across the United States. So that's something that I know we constantly look out for for our employer clients to let them know and then to help them through any changes that may happen at the state level. But one thing that employers actually do need to be aware of as they are maybe looking at E-Verify or looking to E-Verify direct, they need to be aware of where they're doing business and where they have employees and where those regulations may currently be in effect and where they may be changing going forward. There are lots of reasons that an employer may want to use E-Verify. I mean, one of the biggest benefits to the employers is that it really keeps the employer's workforce legal in a way that offers them a second set of protection on top of the Form I-9 to say, hey, I've done a double check to make sure I've used this both systems to make sure that my workforce is legal, which protects that workforce to some extent if there are enforcement actions or raids inside their communities. It also helps reduce the number of fraudulent work documents because, again, that's one of the biggest things that um, E-Verify is checking is those databases related to fraudulent work documents to make sure that the employees are who they say they are and that they're authorized to work inside the U.S., It also several benefits to the workforce. So it provides reliability in the workforce, so you know that staffing will always kind of be there and remain at a constant level. And then it also helps to improve the accuracy of wage and tax reporting. So employees aren't getting kind of false information on their wage and tax information that's reported to the federal government and to the state governments. So it provides a lot of great benefits for both employers and employees. To get even more out of today's episode, make sure you get your free tools like webinars, ebooks, videos, and more at equifax.com slash wise. Montreal, can you talk for a minute about the basic functionality of the E-Verify system? Sure. So when, as an employer, you log into your E-Verify account, when an employer logs into their E-Verify account and creates a case in E-Verify, as Jason mentioned earlier, you're creating that case based off of the information that the individual put on the Form I-9. So you take information from the Form I-9 and you plug it into E-Verify, you create a case. And generally, that process may take a few minutes and then the results, once you hit send, the results come back literally sometimes within a matter of seconds and it may tell you individual is employment authorized. And so just looking at the grand scheme of things, according to U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, this is actually on their website if you wanted to to look at this section on E-Verify, through the third quarter of this fiscal year, because the government operates on a fiscal, uh, fiscal year calendar, they have E-Verify has processed a little bit, a little over 28 million cases. And of those approximately 98.5% are automatically confirmed as work authorized. So you can see that E-Verify can be a very effective 
program at, as Jason said, determining um, identity and employment eligibility. And so that's the employment authorized process and, and the creation of the case and the end result. You can also sometimes get a, another result, which is either referred to as the FAN or the TNC. It's the further action notice FAN or the TNC, the tentative non-confirmation. And that happens when you don't automatically, as an employer, get an employment authorized result back from the system. And what happens with a FAN TNC is, and we're not going to go into all the details of it right now, but there is certainly information on USCIS's website about how to handle both of these situations and also in the letter that you receive through the system. But essentially, when you have a, a, a FAN, a TNC, it's coming from either the Social Security Administration or the Department of Homeland Security because how the information flows is it will go first to ping the Social Security Administration's database and then if necessary, it will ping the Department of Homeland Security's database. And so there may be issues with the information that has been entered into the system. And those issues can be for a variety of, of reasons. It can be fat fingers on the part of the person entering the information, or it could be something as uh, significant as a social security number that doesn't exist. But as an employer, just because you, an employer receives a TNC does not necessarily mean that the individual is not authorized to work in the United States. You have to follow the process, and the process is basically that, one, you need to notify the employee of the fact that you've received a tentative non-confirmation. The employee needs to decide whether to contest the TNC. Then an employer needs to refer the case to SSA, or the Department of Homeland Security, depending on, on where it is coming from. And then the employee has to be afforded an opportunity to visit, either visit the SSA office, the local office, or call the Department of Homeland Security. And then the system, once they do that and address the issue, then the system will update the results, and then you could move to closing the case, although we're going to talk about case closures in just a second. So just realize there's a process that must be followed whenever an employer receives a tentative non-confirmation and you have to afford the employee an opportunity to either, like I said, visit the local Social Security Administration field office, call Department of Homeland Security, and it's a minimum of eight federal government working days. So those are TNCs um, further action notices. And then one other thing that I'm going to talk about is photo matching. So photo matching is a feature of the E-Verify system. And the way it works is that when an employee completes the Form I-9 and they present their documents and the individual, the employer completing the Form I-9 and specifically Section 2 looks at the documents, touches the documents, looks at the documents, and verifies, yes, in fact, those documents relate to the person standing in front of me, and um, they appear to be uh, legitimate to a reasonable person they appear to be, and they are on the list of acceptable documents demonstrating employment authorization. So that's the whole completion of 
section two as explained in about 1.3 seconds. But what you want to look for is photo matching with E-Verify is different in the sense that when you do photo matching through E-Verify, you're looking at the document, the photos that you are matching are the document, the photo in the document presented by the individual for Section 2 purposes, and the photo on the screen through the E-Verify system. That's photo matching, document to screen. And the person may not necessarily be in front of you when you complete E-Verify. And so that's the photo matching process. I do want to talk for a minute about using E-Verify alongside with the I-9 management system from Equifax and some of the benefits that are available. I talked about one of them already, that it's always online, and that if the system, the E-Verify system, is down for either maintenance or because of a government shutdown, that the Equifax system will pin those cases on the employer client's behalf. And then as soon as the system comes back online, we'll send those cases across to make sure that they are handled correctly. Another key benefit is that there's no re-entry of data. I know, Matra, earlier you talked about fat-fingering mistakes when you're entering social security number or information into the system. That really won't happen inside the Equifax I-9 management system when you're using E-Verify because all of that would have been taken care of and there's no double entry or re-entry of that data into the E-Verify system because our I-9 management system sends it directly to E-Verify. Also, some easier workflow tools. So a lot of those steps in the process are highly automated. So it's easier for the employer to weed through any cases that aren't employment authorized. And then it's also a seamless process. So as soon as Section 2 is completed and signed by the employer, the system kicks off our e-verify process with no interaction from that employee. So our users don't have to do a second step or click anything extra or do anything outside of the I-9 process because as soon as they finish Section 2 inside I-9 management, it automatically kicks that case off into the e-verify tool, which makes it a whole lot easier for our employer clients. That's right. I noticed that we're running out of time. I'd like to thank you for joining us today as co-host of the Workforce Wise podcast. And we hope that everybody enjoyed today's discussion, and we hope that you're walking away with some best practices that you can adopt at your organization. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe to the Workforce Wise podcast. And don't forget to download your free tools at equifax.com wise. While you're there, check out our other episodes and sign up for our live tech demo to see our solutions in action. And to keep our lawyers happy, you should know the information provided on the Workforce Wise podcast is intended as general guidance and not intended to convey specific tax or legal advice. For tax or legal information pertaining to your company and its specific facts and needs, please consult your own tax advisor or legal counsel. The views expressed are those of the discussion leaders and do not necessarily reflect official positions of Equifax. Investor analysts should direct inquiries using the contact us box on the investor relations section at Equifax.com.